This episode of Actors with Issues is brought to you by Audible. For a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, visit audibletrial.com actors. Welcome back to another episode of Actors with Issues. I am your host, Juan Ayala. Today's guest is actor Stacey Raymond from the hit NBC series New Amsterdam, where they have portrayed paramedic Whitaker for a dozen episodes, as well as co-starring roles on Law & Order SVU, The Good Cop, and many, many more. Stacy talks with us about their experiences on those projects, the importance of embracing your uniqueness, and their upcoming performance in the audiobook version of A Streetcar Named Desire opposite Audra McDonald and Carla Giugino. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Stacy Raymond. I'm sure you were rather excited when the news came out earlier this year that it was renewed not just for one, not two, but three more seasons. Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is just totally unheard of. Um, the only other show to get that same treatment was another hit NBC show, This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, New Amsterdam has like blown up into this sort of uplifting, feel-good type of series. And um, what's your experience been like? You've been working on 12 episodes, and as I said, hopefully many more. But what's your experience been like? And uh, let's go to the beginning. Where did you, um, how did your sort of audition come about? And did you expect it to... Um, evolve into this recurring role or did you just sort of think it's a co-star one day next job (laughs) yeah that that is what I thought so um, you know like any typical audition it came through from my agent it was for an untitled pilot Mm. um, episode Uh, so I figured you never know first of all pilot is it even going to be picked up what's going to happen I got the script I read the script and I said this is going to be something I know this is going to be great so I went in I did my one-line uh, co-star audition, felt good about it. It was with Caporelli Otis Casting. They're fantastic. Um, found out I booked the role. And the pilot episode, um, I'm in front of the UN loading people into the ambulance, and there was a ton of background, and it was a big to-do. They had to block off the UN, and it, 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 was, it was thrilling and fun to film. Um, and then I thought, you know, who knows what's going to happen with this. Um, down the line, we find out it's picked up. And then I find out I'm invited to be in the second episode. So I'm thrilled. Uh, I come in, I do that episode. It was directed by Peter Horton, who's one of the uh, producers as well. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, main people involved with the show. And when it was over, I approached him. I said, thank you so much. This was, you know, such a fantastic experience. And he said, oh, we're going to be seeing you a lot more. You're going to keep on coming back. So I was like, oh, shit, I hit the jackpot. (laughs) Uh, and, And I've been back, you know, I've been in 12 episodes so far. And it's, it's such a fantastic show. And I think the, the casting of it and the storylines and the diversity, it's just, you know, it's, it's really special. It's mm. really special. With the pilot, because it was, like you said, you know, with pilots, you're really not sure what to expect. You almost try not to get your hopes up because you have no idea what's going to happen. You don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to get picked up, if it gets a, a 13 episode order, if it gets a full season. Some shows have one season and finish. Um, but like you said, you knew that there was sort of uh, something special going on there. And um, is there anything that you may hope that your character gets to do in the near future? So, so I'm very often, you know, one of the paramedics who's coming in with, with the injured or a sick person on the mm. stretcher. And I'm spitting out the stats of what's going on with them and blood pressure and heart rate and all that stuff. Um, and often then helping bring them to, you know, whatever... Uh, Ambulance bay, not ambulance bay, what's the term I'm looking for? 
whatever, whatever section of the emergency room they need to be brought to for whatever procedures they need to be done. So it is, it has been a lot of in and out quick sort of setting the scene for, for the story to unfold. Um, I would love to, if the, you know, writers, if you're listening, no, but <laughs> a storyline where maybe as a paramedic, there's a mistake that's made or um, a life that's saved, you know, something al along those lines that uh, would give it a little meaty opportunities mm -hmm. there or something along those lines, yeah. Um, so what has been your most nerve-wracking audition? I'm always curious with um, folks that go out for network TV because auditions can come and go on a very mm -hmm. frequent basis. Uh, depending on one's sort of situation. Um, so what's been sort of the most nerve wracking audition that you've been in? Was it the role itself? Was it whoever was in the room? I know some of were caught off guard with who's in the room as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to have a pretty lame answer, but I, <laughs> I luckily have not had any auditioning experiences that I've been like, oh my God, that was terrible. That was scary. That was awful. I think that um, probably the weirdest thing or not really weirdest, but possibly difficult situation is self-taping where, you know, uh, you don't have the casting director there to give you sort of notes and adjust you. So you can do it multiple times and then not know, and then, you know, submit it and hopefully your agents like it and, and you're good to go. But I'd say probably the most obstacle or uh, negative situation would just be sort of going solo with trying to figure out exactly what, the best choices are in a self-tape. But even that I'm loving. So I, I, I'm, I'm lame. I don't really have anything negative to say about auditioning. Well, it's not it's a lame thing, of course. Thank <laughs> it's you. A, it's I, a good thing, really, because I know some people can get very, like, crippling audition anxiety. And it's really good that you have, like, the very sort of strong footing. Uh, I find in. it, thank you. I find mm -hmm. it to be fun. I find it to be, you know, an opportunity to act, to show my stuff. You know, I don't always look at it as I'm auditioning for this role, but also, I'm just auditioning to form a relationship uh, right. with the casting director. And, you know, that it, it sort of takes the pressure off of you need to book this role, but more let them see what you can do and then leave. And if they like you, great. And if not, you know, moving on. Yeah, very much sort of um, booking the room rather yes, than yes. just the role. Um, that's something that I have had to learn to embrace quite a mm -hmm. bit. Uh, especially sending in tapes because you can't even look around and sort of read the room. You're just like, all right, sending it out into the ether and seeing what yes. comes back. But knowing you put out your best work with what you were given, especially when you're not given any direction, mm -hmm. maybe a two sentence character description uh, that can be rather vague. Um, but it's, it's always interesting to, um, because self tapes are very much going to be the new normal going forward for uh, for quite a while um, because of the pandemic and whatnot. Right. And um, it's always interesting to hear the differences that different actors have with their feelings towards self-tapes. I know some people that love it, mm -hmm. others absolutely despise it because there's um, that sort of sense of paranoia um, or worry of like, what if this is completely not what they want and they don't even tell me because they just think it's terrible. And it's, well, again, just trusting that you can put your best work out there and mm -hmm. um, just forgetting about forgetting about it. For me, it's very much like send it and forget. Or when you leave the casting room or the audition room, you crumple up your sides, throw it in the garbage and just, okay, that's it. I did my job. My job's done. Now they have to do their job. Yes. I do the same thing. I throw my sides away immediately. 
it's over, moving on. I'm not going to obsess. I'm not going to think about it. Yeah. And then sometimes you get a call back and you're like, oh man, if I kept those sides, I wouldn't have to print them out again, but it's all good. Right. You're like, what were my notes? What did I scribble down? Where were yes, my- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so you started, uh, you found your passion for acting uh, rather young. And mm-hmm. um, when did you, I know that when we do start rather young, we have this inkling of, I want to do more of this. I want more. I want more. I want to be on stage more. I want to make people laugh. I want to make people cry. Um, but when did you have that sort of turning point where you had to like make a decision? Uh, I'm going to do this or pursue this full time. Was it for me, it was when I was applying to colleges. I really hadn't made that decision yet uh, until I was filling out like what program or what major I was going to choose. Mm-hmm. So when was it for you? When did you have that sort of? I, I feel like so I, um, right. I, I, ever since I was little, 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 I wanted to act. I think mm-hmm. the, my very first experience, which I only have, you know, hazy memories of is uh, first grade. I was in Sunday school and it was, there was a Christmas pageant and they put everybody's names in a hat and they pulled out a name to play the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And I want, I was selected and I, my parents said, I sort of carried a baby doll that was supposed to be baby Jesus. And I walked in a way that was like, I'm this holy figure. And it was like creepy and weird. And I was like fully (laughs) invested in it. Um, And then in second grade, you know, my teacher, Miss Hogue gave me the role of the turtle and the turtle who wanted to fly. And it was like this classroom play. And the first um, in the morning, we did it for our parents who came in. Mm. And in the afternoon, we, the other second grade class came in to watch it. And it was the first time I ad libbed. I, I remember I added a line in, just on instinct. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like this, you know, I just, I was like, this is it. I love this. Where can I, how can I do more of this? So when I was, I just, I remember feeling more free and more in my body and just light, you know, as a kid, and clearly you're not like actually doing the craft of acting, but there was something about that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wasn't like Stanislavski, but you know, there was something about that, doing that, that felt like, Ooh, I'm onto something. Um, And I knew I just felt a pull that said, when I get older, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then I believe when I was in junior high, so my brother is, uh, and he's also an actor. Uh, his name okay. is Adam Mucci. And he, um, he went to college to study it. And I, I realized like, this is an option. This is something I can go away and train and, and, and you know, become great at my craft. So probably around junior high was when I knew this is where I'm going. You know, I remember in ninth grade, I had to write a term paper and I wrote it on, on Stanislavski. And my teacher was like, who, what, what is this? Cause I'm talking about like Stanislavski's legacy and all this stuff. And uh, yeah. So probably junior high was when I was like, this, this is happening. Um, yeah. yeah. That, the, you know, those very formative years, it's, um, I mean, your older brother was, was involved in it already. So did you have the same sort of support and backing from your, from your parents and, and was your brother encouraging during that time? Cause I know sometimes when other family members can be in the deep end of a business, they sort of think like, Oh, you sure you want to do this? Mm. Yeah. It, luckily I've had full support from my family. Mm. Um, everyone. Yeah. They've always been in my corner sort of go after, you know, what you, what you want to do. So no, that hasn't been an issue, thankfully. Yeah. I, I mean, I come from a, from a working class, family of immigrants Mm -hmm. uh so Mm. going into anything artistic was like are you sure (laughs) yeah because it's a family of cooks and carpenters and you know trade jobs and where there's sort of a constant steady stream of work not where you're constantly Mm. looking for the next survival job or for the next the next paycheck really 
did, so did that make it a little difficult for you? Uh, were they nervous? It did. Or, yeah, yeah, they were, they were nervous for sure. Cause you know, any family, any, any parent wants their kid to have more than they did. Mm-hmm. Um, they want them to build upon what they've given them. So for me to choose a job or, or a career path that is very much a gamble uh, was a bit nerve wracking, but it wasn't until that I started getting heavily involved in theater in Connecticut and I was getting paid for some of it and, and whatnot that they were a little bit more, more confident with my decision. And right. especially once I started booking a couple commercials a few years hmm. ago, they're like, okay, you're, right, <laughs> we're not, we're not worried. You're, you'll be okay. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I too come from a family, a working class family. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, but they sort of, you know, yeah, just kind of. Sort of a, let me do my thing, almost like yeah. walking on eggshells almost. They're just like, oh, okay. We'll <laughs> let you go, but we'll, we'll, we won't stay too far behind. <laughs> <laughs> come home whenever you have to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so what would you say has been the most uh, eye-opening experience that you've had? whether on a set for, for TV or film or um, in rehearsals for, for a theater production. I know you've done quite a bit of theater in New York as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that almost every booking we have, we learn something new. So what's sort of been the biggest, uh, most eye-opening experience you've had? Hmm. From working on a job, let's see. I, I think, I think that as of right now, I'm in a position where it's like, job after job, you're slowly piece by piece building a name for yourself, building Mm. a career for yourself. Um, You want your name to be its own currency. You want when somebody drops your name, oh, they're great to work with. They, you know, they're, they're talented. I think that there hasn't been like this epiphany in any of the jobs that I've had so far, but sort of a culmination of I'm going to deliver, you know, a confidence in myself that's been building over the years and job by job. Um, And also an acknowledgement even more so now that like being who you are and how you are is your gift that you can bring to each of your jobs and each of your, you know, you mentioned um, auditions. It's like, you can be sitting in the audition room or excuse me, the waiting room for the audition and see people who look like you, but no matter what, they are not you. They, everyone has their own instrument, their own experiences leading them to the, that very moment of time when they're outside that audition door to go in and audition and you're going to be completely unique and do things your way and sort of job by job, you know, role by role, I sort of honor that and feel more confidence in that. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering the question properly, but it's sort of been, you know, like a uh, climbing a mountain type of thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, even with just looking at, um, uh, your work on New Amsterdam, it's this mm-hmm. arc of, of work that uh, in that case is still in progress. You may realize what you learned three seasons from now, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, it, and that's the beauty of, of this career is that, like I said, you're, you're constantly learning, but you may not even realize what you learned until way, way after. Um, right. Once I, it becomes this eye-opening experience, you're like, oh my God, I even realized that that's what happened that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And even, you know, um, sort of, so I, I was on uh, an episode of Law and & Order and sort of uh, something you, you learn so much in the actual experience of doing it. Mm. So uh, there was one day where I was the first shot of the day and the last shot of the day. So there was a lot of time in between. And um, both of my scenes were with Mariska and 
I, I was like, I need to nail this because this is the last <laughs> shot of the day. Everybody yeah. wants to go home. You sort of learn that like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but you sort of learn through each job how you need to deliver, how you need to show up, how you need to be prepared. Yeah. 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 Um, I was speaking with a young actor a few weeks ago. Um, he was a recurring guest star on Daybreak, which is a Netflix series mm. that unfortunately was a, was a one and done season. Mm. Um, Netflix has very high expectations for all of their shows. It's like you have to be the next Stranger Things or you're done. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. unfortunately, I very much enjoyed that show and thought it was great, but unfortunately, it didn't get the um, the attention it needed. Of, of course, I discovered it like six months after it came out. It wasn't until the mm. pandemic hit. I'm like, I need to watch something. What's this? A zombie teen <laughs> comedy? This is cool. Um, and he was talking about how you know he's on that show. He worked with Colin Ford, who was who played young Dean in Supernatural and has done mm-hmm. a ton of other work. Matthew Broderick was in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these sort of other familiar names. And he went in with this sort of preconceived notion that it's like, don't talk to the stars. They're, you know, don't bother them, whatever. And then having been on the set for, for several days and, and, and weeks and months, having done, I think he did eight episodes total. Um, he learned like, no, they're, they're human beings. They want people to talk to. They, uh, yeah. They're your coworkers. And um everyone the same expectations are set for everyone it's not just um you know he i think was 19 at the time Mm, was super mm -hmm. young it was a i think about a year and a half ago or two years ago now um but yeah just that sort of uh mindset that we may go in working with the star of the show um i mean i would be horrified to work with mariska or uh, any other like with ice tea (laughs) or anything because they're they're just you know, they're engraved in your brain as like, that's Olivia Benson. That's, <laughs> you know what I will say they, I, so yeah, Ice T too was super cool. And Mariska after uh, one of the scenes rubbed my arm and said, that was really great. And I immediately got my phone and texted my wife. I was like, Mariska rubbed my arm and said it was great. You know, like, so she, she was super cool and very nice to me, but right. I went into it like Olivia Benson. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. Um, who have you been? Uh, what did you say Mariska was the most, you've been starstruck on a set or was there someone else? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't starstruck, but I did an episode of a show that was also short-lived on Netflix called The Good Cop um, with uh, Tony Danza. And I didn't actually have a scene with him on the show, but when I went to the table read, one of the actors couldn't make it and they asked me to step in. So here I am at a table read, reading with Tony Danza. And that just was so awesome to me. It was just so, it just seemed... I never expected at some point in my life I'm going to be sitting opposite Tony Danza reading a scene. <laughs> it was it was just fantastic. Um, let me think if there's other. I mean, I'm looking forward to. So coming up, I'm doing. Um, I was cast in uh, Williamstown Theater Festival production of A Streetcar Named Desire. Right. Yeah. Um, and it uh, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, has been not so much canceled, but moved to the Audible platform. Mm-hmm. And Audra McDonald is playing. Blanche so I'm really looking Amazing. forward to working yeah she's like a legend and uh we had a zoom reading uh, probably like a month ago just to sort of read through it and I was just like whew, already even you know the director is Robert O'Hara who's also a genius but he hadn't even touched the script you know the story yet because we hadn't started rehearsals and she already blew me away so yeah. uh I'm looking forward to that for sure and um some of your other co-stars on that are um Carla Giugino and Bobby Cannavale um it's amazing you know, like Bobby star-studded Ken- cast it's insane 
<laughs> it is. Unfortunately, Bobby isn't going to be doing it and, uh, for this oh, reading really? anymore. Yeah, he has a conflict, a scheduled gotcha. conflict. So uh, another actor stepping, stepping in. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful, very grateful. And with such an iconic um, piece to its... Mm. Um, yeah, when was that originally supposed to, um, to go up if, when, before the pandemic hit? Was it like it, around this time or a while ago? It would have been in uh, June, I think mid to the end of June. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, it's funny, I, I haven't interviewed too many people that have done just as much theater as they have TV or perhaps more. Um, what's been something that you have you did you find it difficult sort of transitioning from one to the other at first or did it sort of come uh, naturally because I know sometimes actors will um, get used to theatrical acting and then not realize how much they have to tone it down for the close-up on camera yeah um you know I try I I try personally not to be too much in my head about that of of course it's a Mm. different medium and you know the camera is picking up things that you're not seeing on stage and just energetically you're whole instrument is different on stage versus um well different in a sense of how you're being perceived by the audience but you're still communicating you're still experiencing in all the same ways it's just what they're capturing is smaller so I I just try to be a fully fleshed out human being regardless of if I'm standing on a stage or uh, you know behind a camera and trust that that also the cam, you know, the, the DPs are going to get what they need to get from me too. And I'm, I, I try to allow myself to be free. Like I know there, I have an acting teacher who um, mentioned that there's a lot of uh, actors right now who try to do what he calls mumble acting, sort of like I'm, you know, I'm on camera, so I have to be small. He's like, but then if you go look at, look at Emmy award winning actors, look at Academy award winning actors, they're usually not really that small in their yeah. performances. You know, they're, they're fully fleshed out, living, breathing dynamic character so I try to remember that the it's not such a big jump or change you're still a person you're still going through the same you know crafting and regardless of the medium and uh yeah so so luckily I think it's been pretty pretty seamless I hope mm-hmm. I, I sound like such a cocky jerk I'm like everything no challenges here it's uh, all i know what issues <laughs> actors with issues i don't have any yeah right if you're like me and you listen to a lot of podcasts you'd probably love listening to audiobooks and the best place for that is audible the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment titles range from popular literature fiction and biographies to health wellness and everything in between for a free 30-day trial, visit audibletrial.com actors for a free audiobook. Once you become a member, you get one credit for an audiobook each month, as well as two free exclusive Audible originals. I highly recommend that all of my actors and artists listening check out the audiobook for The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide, written and narrated by Jenna Fisher, best known for playing Pam on The Office. Jenna gives an in-depth look in her career from fresh-faced Hollywood newcomer to struggling actor to the star of a hit network television show. She also has a ton of survival advice and guidance for actors tackling this crazy industry. You can check out Jenna's book and tons more by signing up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com actors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think that, you know, um, sort of like, I guess, you know, a couple of years ago, it was, you know, for me, uh, because I am queer, I am non-binary, you know, mm-hmm. it was sort of... I personally worried that that was going to hold me back. That was going to make things harder for me. Luckily, you know, the industry is opening itself up to allow all different types of people to tell all different types of stories. For myself, I look now as be, at being genderqueer as a gift. It's something that for me personally, I feel uh, energetically connected and identified with all genders. Um, mm-hmm. So you can cast me in a female role, you can cast me in a non-binary role, you can cast me in whatever, and I'm going to step in and, and embody that character and, and be that person. And with every actor, regardless, like your experience of humanity, your understanding of a character, a story is unique to you. And, you know, I kind of mentioned it before at the audition, like, even if there are people who look like you, they're not you, they're not, they don't have the, the, the specific vulnerability or mindset or understanding that you have just based on all the experiences of your life leading up to that exact moment. And um, I mentioned this acting teacher uh, before about the mumble acting. His name mm-hmm. is John, da- John Dapolito. I'll give him a shout out. He's, <laughs> he's, he's fantastic. He always says, honor your Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, go mm-hmm. in, I'm Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and I'm gonna show you why I'm special. And so the things that you think are, oh my God, this is a problem. Oh my God, this is, I don't like the way this looks about me. I I don't like, this could be better, this whatever, is often what makes you most unique, most real, most human, and brings a a dynamic to a character or a role that is unexpected and beautiful. So that's sort of the mindset that I'm trying to continuously feed myself is that, you know, your flaws, your, the things about you that you, as well as the things that are beautiful that you may feel are misunderstood by other people, there are people who honor that. There are people who want that. And um, yeah, that's that. kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's um, something you. that we neglect quite a bit, especially when we're in an audition, when we look around the room, we're like, all of these people look like me. Mm-hmm. How on earth, what could I possibly bring to this role, to this audition, to stand out and um yeah it's i mean that's an ongoing struggle with so many people myself included i well sometimes i'll look around the room and be like all these people are completely different from from me that, as well. yeah. when i went in for for blind spot um it was for uh, a lab tech and there was a guy similar in my age uh another guy that looked a bit younger another gentleman who was probably like 40 um or just looked uh, a bit older and i'm just mm-hmm. like they're really because, you know, it was like an, a nondescript lab tech. It could be anyone. Um, so going into that particular audition, I was a bit nervous. Like, do I bring myself to this? Do I act completely differently? Mm-hmm. And um, you don't realize how much of yourself you can bring into the role. Like, I consider myself kind of like a quirky, dorky guy. <laughs> so, like, I'm like, lab tech, he talks fast, there's jargon, and then they're out. Like, that's it. And, like, um, and you almost think, like, I have to shed everything about myself 
I'm an actor, I'm a chameleon, I have to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I have to do something completely different because uh, with younger generations especially, I've noticed that there is this um, constant praise for method acting. Mm-hmm. And while it is impressive and every single sort of Oscar winner that's done it, um, it's just absolutely brilliant in their roles. It's funny to hear that like younger actors think that the to really act and to truly be an actor, you have to make the biggest departure from yourself as possible. And to me, it's like what you're saying, it's the opposite. It's bring as much of yourself as you can because um, I've just always loved that sort of method of acting above um, bringing in as much as yourself as you can. And then when it doesn't pertain to the role, that's when you start imagining. Yeah. And I think that, um, right. I, I, I totally agree. Like I've, I've done things and people, you know, you, you go outside the stage door and they're like, Oh my God, that was you. I didn't even recognize you. And you're like, damn, I was good. Like that's (laughs) such a great compliment to be like, I was transformed. There are though, however, especially something right. Like the lab tech who comes in, so maybe his, his manner of speech, you said he talked really fast, he kind of came in quickly, isn't necessarily the way you would do it or the way you would speak. But so it's you to a point and then coming through the prism of and who is this person now that I'm stepping into? Because we can only bring ourselves into the experiences to relate to the other person however we can. Like even if you're playing, you know, a serial killer, it's like, well, how, not that I can understand that mentality, but sort right. of yeah. how is this person justifying this in their mind and how can I get myself to a place that I can connect to that or whatever. So yeah, it, it's a fine line. I hear you though. Sometimes you really want something that's such a departure yeah. from who you are. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a balance for sure. Um, so have you ever felt a sort of, um, a plateau or a lull um, in your experience as an actor? And if you have, how were you able to sort of overcome it? Because I know sometimes it's um, a wake-up call that someone else gives you. Mm. Sometimes it's a change in mindset or the sudden epiphany that you sort of have. Um, but yeah, can you talk about that at all? If, um, if you have sort of felt like a slump or a plateau? Sure. Um... Especially during COVID, I feel like everyone has felt yeah. a very big yes. sense. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk to that about COVID. It's sort of, um, you know, I'm grateful though I have this this streetcar thing, uh, Audible recording to look forward to. So that's something artistic during COVID. Uh, but right, it's about taking it day to day, moment to moment, and just believing that what you want wants you as well. And um, I've sort of, I don't know if I'm delusional, but I've always sort of put blinders on and said, this is what I want. This is possible. It, you know, people thrive in acting careers. Why not me? Um, and, and I do look at acting as a calling. I look at it as, you know, there are some people who are involved in acting probably for ego-based reasons and whatnot. And then, and, and we all have that as well, of course. But there's also an artistic calling, I think. Why else would we put ourselves through this if it wasn't something deeper and right. you know, rooted in something that's, that's uh, on a whole other soulful level? Um, so when there's downtime, when I'm not working on something, I just sort of try to tap into that. I try to um, realize this time is for me to continue working on myself, um, you know, staying artistic in whatever way. I've really gotten into coloring lately. It's, mm. it's wonderful. It's, yeah. I can control it. It's, you know, just uh, 
just trying to keep on keeping on and taking it day to day and, and telling myself that I can't figure it all out. I can't, I can't um, fix everything or make my career happen for today. I can only do what I can do, which is right. I'm doing this podcast, you know, taking it step by step. After this, I'll make myself some coffee, you know, <laughs> and then just move to the next moment and the next moment. But. Yeah. Yeah. Self-care has been something that um, I think a lot of actors have realized that they were not doing um, mm -hmm. until we no longer had anything to do. And um, my, I mean, myself included, it's something that I'm like, wow, I really haven't like gotten a full night's sleep in a very yeah. long time because you know, we have this mindset of constantly having to hustle and find the next job and always moving. And if we're not doing something, we're, we're lazy. And um, mm -hmm. it can be a very, I mean, it can be, it is a very exhausting sort of mindset to have, especially, and even now people think that like, you know, I have all this time and I'm not doing anything. Like, well, what, there's not much for us to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is, is there anything that you hope the industry changes a bit um in light of things like covid um hmm. personally it's how many people are on our set <laughs> yeah that's definitely true there's a lot of people there that don't need to be there yeah. um i mean that's me to say everybody's important obviously but they right. can sort of yeah, yeah. yeah um uh let's see well, it's interesting because one thing I notice is, you know, during this time, a lot of people are like, well, I can do this and that because whatever time doesn't matter and it's a pandemic and nothing is the way it used to be. It's sort of in a weird way, given people freedom to be human. Mm. And um, I almost, I hope that that carries over. I don't know what that would look like, but in terms of the work ethic or maybe even just self-talk with, you know, for actors sort of, I'm allowed to take a break. I'm allowed to chill today and work tomorrow. Like maybe there's something that we can learn from this time of everything being sort of spread out and slowed down that we can carry over into when we do have five auditions coming up or, you know, five would be nice. That's a lot, but you know, two or one or whatever <laughs> coming up yeah. that we can sort of take our time and take the pressure off of ourselves. And uh, I don't know if I'm really articulating this properly, but um, yeah, I don't know sort of like an we're all in this together type of mentality that allows us to allow more breath into each step along the way, I guess. Okay, so I always like to end the uh, interviews with a rapid fire round, Ooh. and we're going to do something a little different this time. Uh, I say rapid fire, and some folks have gone on for like five minutes with <laughs> 12 questions, and I'm like, okay, so we're going to actually time this one. Oh, boy. Okay. So we've got 90 seconds on the clock. And our first question is the most hard hitting. So we got three seconds. Three, two, one. Coffee or tea? Ooh, coffee. Theater or screen acting? Ooh, I love them both equally. I TV. need theater. Say, Go yeah. ahead. Go for uh, it. TV or film? TV. Hero or villain? Villain. Drama or comedy? Drama. Favorite TV show of all time? Ooh, uh, E. I mean, I can tell you what I like right now. Um, yep. I, may, I May Destroy You is awesome. Insecure was so needed and Love awesome. Uh, those two shows right now are... Uh, have you ever had to cry at an audition? Yes. Uh, what is your theater dream role? <sighs> I don't think it's been written yet. Oh, love that. I love when Thank they you. answer questions like that. Uh, <laughs> worst job you've ever had? 
uh, telemarketing. Uh, I already asked someone who I do most trash talk. Uh, what existing TV show do you want to join the cast of? Mm, well, rapid fire, I'm panicking. There's so many flashing <laughs> through my mind right now. Uh, Ozark. What is the most helpful book you've ever read? Uh, the War of Art. What existing movie franchise do you want to join? Existing movie franchise. Ooh, uh, I can't think right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you had the chance to direct any actor in any stage role, what would it be? Money's oh. no objects. Ooh, actor in a stage role. Um, Laurie Metcalf in anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, last one. In 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? Keep going. You can do this. Believe in yourself. And that is it for today's episode of Actors with Issues with special guest Stacey Raymond, who you can follow on Instagram at Stacey Raymond and follow us at Actors with Issues. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash actors and catch new episodes every Friday. This is Juan Ayala, signing off.